Continuing our series called Ecstatically Married, we're in part six now. You can turn in your Bibles to John 3.16, where Don had you a minute ago. So this sermon is on headship. Why does headship get its own sermon? We're talking about marriage. We define what is a man, what is a woman, what is a husband, what is a wife, what is marriage. And now we're saying, what is headship? Next week we're going to say, what is submission? After that, we're going to have our uh, two-year anniversary birthday party. The week after that, we're going to talk about, we'll call it intimacy in marriage. And, uh, and we're going to have the kids go out for that service. So Adam and Adam's putting together a plan to, to take care of the kids in the other room. We might just put something on, on, roll the screen into the other room for them so they can you know, have, have distraction. And Isaac, are you going to be okay? You're allowed to be here for that service. <laughs> I, I didn't know if Isaac was giggling. Like He's like, can I be here? Yeah, you're married. Um, you're, you're good to go. So no, adults can stay in for that one, but we're going to be talking you know, specifically about intimacy in marriage. So we'll send the kids out for it. But um, why does headship get its own sermon? For two reasons. Number one, because it's such a fundamental part of being a husband. And number two, because it's so often misunderstood or just totally avoided. Same reason that submission is going to get its own sermon, because it's such a fundamental part of being a wife. And number two, because it's so often misunderstood or just totally avoided. So we want clarity. We don't want to just hide from these things. That seems a little bit uncomfortable. Well, then let's step into it with both feet. But the Lord is good. All of his ways are perfect. So wherever there's mystery or confusion, let's sort it out. I think a lot of times we avoid it because I don't really want to know what he has to say. Yeah, that's right. uh, we'll just kind of keep that vague. I'll go with what I believe about that. What if what you believe about that wrong, is wrong? Mm-hmm. Well, but I like what I believe about it. Aha. <laughs> so you don't actually believe God or the word of God. You believe you. And that's a dangerous and scary thing that faithful Christians don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So we, we step into, we go, hey, this means something. What does it mean? Show us, Lord. Help us and teach us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We know that your ways are best and perfect. Like every week, we come before you to say we submit to your will and your perfection. You've got a good design and you've got a good plan for marriages, for households. You love marriage. You love men. You love women. You love children. You want us to thrive and enjoy your best and accomplish your will for our lives. So help us today as men learn about headship and their role in it, as women learn about a man's role of headship as a husband. God, help us all to rejoice in it. and Let it, let it draw us all to worship, to say, wow, God is good, and he's perfect in all of his ways. We submit to you, and we trust you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Headship. We don't find the word headship in the Bible. So why do we use this word? Well, we get the word headship as a descriptor of what the Scriptures uh, lay out for us in Ephesians. I, t- where did I, t- I told you to go to John. I'll go to Ephesians. You sit tight. Where am I? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be homely, holy, not homely. <laughs> it's the opposite of what he's describing here. He's saying he wants her to be radiant, not homely. We're not going to be homely Christians. That's what we're fighting against. Lukewarmness, homeliness, radiance. And I read the wrong verse anyway. I want to take you to verse 24. I was trying to answer 
No, I do want to be in 25. I'm in the right place. Sorry. Yeah, 525. And washing her with the water of the word. So, um, verse 23, I'm sorry. Verse 23 is where I wanted to take you. For the husband is the head of his wife. That's where I, that's where I was aiming for. Had it wrong in my notes. Even as, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So, the husband is the head of the wife. What, what do you mean? Well, he, he's the head of the wife, just like what? Just like Christ is the head of the church. So this is where we get the very specific teaching of, or the phrase headship. Are you building all that off that one verse? Absolutely not. Um, and that's the point I was getting ready to make to you. We see this principle of headship, though, starting in Genesis, continuing all the way through the Old Testament, and then explicitly taught repeatedly in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, we see it in concept a lot. In the New Testament, we have literally like these verses, these verses, these verses, these verses. And Ephesians 5 isn't all we have. It would be a lot if that's all we had, uh, but that's not all we have. So if you're taking notes or you're listening later, 1 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, 1 Timothy 2, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Colossians chapter 3, 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. All of these are places where headship, submission, marriage roles get explicitly plain. Like, to, to walk you through them, I decided, I was like, maybe I should go through this sermon and just show them step-by-step step through the Word. I'm like, it'd be embarrassingly simple. It'd be like, this is a pulpit. Like, this is an exercise bike. It's just like, duh. It's so obvious and plain. And I've already done some of that through what is a man, what is a woman, what is a husband, what is a wife. So I'm like, the horse is dead. I'm not going to kick it anymore. and We can move on. But if you're like, I'm still not convinced, well, don't take my word for it, as the reading rainbow guy used to say. Um, study it for yourself, go look at it, come to the conclusions that the scripture leads you to. But what is headship? Well, this is the word that we're using to refer to the responsibility that a husband lovingly bears to lead his wife and children. That's our simple working definition. What is this headship stuff? Well, it's the responsibility that a husband lovingly and joyfully bears to lead his wife and his children. We'll go into a really quick definition of what headship is not so we can get rid of any concern that may be accompanying this. Headship is not the burden of leadership that a husband resents or neglects. Headship is not a framework that allows for an attitude that says, my family must tiptoe around my ego. So concerns when it comes to headship and submission typically revolve around abuse. So let's plainly say any sins that have been committed in the name of headship are to be rejected and rebuked. We want to throw out all of that dirty bathwater. But there is a baby to be kept, to, preserve, to be preserved, and to be loved and cared for. So we reject sin. It is a particular cruelty and an evil for a husband to abuse his wife, just like it is a particular cruelty and an evil for a mother to kill her baby. There's a special kind of evil in this moment. There's a, special, there's a specialty to it because of the trust, because of the bond, because even nature. There are sins that go along with nature. You know, you would say like uh, uh, a man or a woman being tempted towards another man or a woman who isn't their spouse. That, that at least coincides with nature. But then there are, there are sins that even oppose nature. For example, the, the attraction to the same sex. That, that's even opposing to nature. Or a, or a mother with harshness or cruelty to her children. This is even in opposition to nature. So there's some things that have a, a particular evil to them. A husband abusing his wife is a particular evil. It is a particular wickedness. 
is a particular harshness that's unacceptable and the scripture leaves no room for. So oftentimes people want to run away from the conversation about headship and go, I know a lot of people who have done a lot of evil things in the name of, to which I would say, and I reject it all. And we reject and rebuke it all. Yeah, well, you got to be careful with that. I don't know that you got to be careful with that. You need to love God. The ultimate protection is loving God. A manipulator is going to manipulate. An abuser is going to abuse. And yeah, I mean, anybody can take and twist anything, but that's exactly what Satan does. He takes and he twists. When, when you take the thing in its purity, it's straight, it's good, and it's useful. It takes a twister to twist something. So we reject all of that, and we come back to the Word to say, God's Word is good, God's Word is true, God's Word is safe, Amen. and now we can move forward in confidence. So in John 3.16, are you there yet? <laughs> I'm joining you. We're probably going to cover more than just that particular verse, but we'll do at least that verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's always important to read the context around this verse, uh, because there's a lot more that gets said, as Don did. For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Or I think you read it all, didn't you? Or am I just making that up? He read 17, yes. But oftentimes, even 17 is left out. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Praise God. But whoever does not believe is what? Condemned already. That's our, that's our, that was the state we were born in. I was born into condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and the light does not, and they do not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been done, have been carried out in God. Back to verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So this verse gives us a glimpse of the roles of a godly head. You're wondering, what does this have to do with headship? This verse gives us a glimpse of what does it look like to operate as a head. All right, if I'm the head of my wife, as scripture plainly teaches, interestingly, we often gut that phrase and we say, a husband's the head of the household. That's not what the Bible says. Husband says the Bible's ahead of a wife. It's not bad news. So far, we're still in good news. Well, I don't like the way that sounds. I don't like the way that feels. Well, that's because that just means you don't know what it means. Uh, but you're about to hear a lot of good news. But this verse shows us and gives us a glimpse of what God is doing and what the roles are for a godly head. So there are three legs we could say to headship. Three legs, we'll define it this way headship involves compassion, headship involves taking responsibility, and headship involves authority. Most of the time, people run away from headship because they think exclusively about one leg. They think about authority, and then they define authority incorrectly in their minds, and they think authority means I can do whatever satisfies my ego, and to which women would be right to recoil from that, and and men would be right to recoil from that as well. But that's not how the Lord defines any of these things. So we'll move through this with wisdom and our hearts focused on the Word. How do we define headship, though? We're looking at the compassion, the responsibility, and the authority. Where do we see that here? For God so... What? God so loved the world. So this is his first motive. Why does he do whatever he's about to do? Because of love. That was the point. That's his why. Why am I doing this? Because I love so much. What did he do? He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So what is God giving his only son for? This is a, we love this verse and it's the most famous verse of all time because it's such a, a, a great little snapshot of the gospel. It's like a tiny, tiny, tiny sentence 
that gives us, you can unpack it from there. So what does it mean that he gave his only son? Well, it touches the leg of responsibility. He took ownership for the mess that we made. God loved the world so much, he had great compassion, that he then took responsibility for what we did. Mm -hmm. He didn't do it. He didn't do anything wrong. We did everything wrong. And he said, you know what? I'm going to own it. He didn't say, it's my fault. It wasn't his fault. It was my fault. It's my fault. It's, the, it's my sin. My sin is what crucified Christ. It's not the Romans or the Jews. They had their sin, but my sin contributed. So God loved the world so much, and what does love do? When you're a loving head, you love and you take ownership. God was already in authority. Where do, where's his authority here? Well, his authority is obvious. Yes. His authority we can take for granted. God is already in authority. That's been established. So what does loving authority that, that looks like Christ do? Well, he, he loves, and then he takes ownership of the outcomes. God so loved, he had compassion as his root motive. This is the why he did everything that he did. He gave his only son, he took responsibility to save us, and he didn't tell us to save ourselves. His authority is implied, his authority is obvious. He's doing these things because he's the only one who can. Christ is the head of the church. So Christ, now, that's the authority piece, the head is the authority the power to do what's best, as we'll define in a moment. But he steps in with love, and he takes responsibility for what needs to happen. So we're totally safe and right to define a husband's headship or husband's leadership the same way, with compassion, with responsibility, and with authority. We've got four legs on our pulpit. If we had three, it'd be even better. But God expects every Christian husband to love his wife, to take responsibility for her, and God has delegated the necessary authority for the husband to accomplish God's purposes, Mm -hmm. to accomplish God's purposes. Again, not the same thing as to accomplish the ego of the husband. Mm -hmm. Well, who's to stop him? His wife? No, she's to submit to him. Who's to stop him? Uh, Remember the head of every man, 1 Corinthians 11, is Christ. So we have a hierarchy here that the Lord has set up. So everyone is to be under authority. But let's look at these individually. We'll look at compassion first. Compassion, how do we define this? I define it this way. You love your wife a lot, and she knows it. I love her a lot. Does she think so, Fred? Well, I tell her. That's not what I said. Does she really know that you love her? She should. That's not what I'm asking. Does she really know that you love her? You've answered my question, Fred. Thank you. You love your wife a lot, and she knows it. This is your why. You care for her. You want what's best for her. You want God's will for her life. God's will for her life should be the most important thing to you because that's what's most important to God. This is what loving someone really is. Wanting God's will for them and laying down your life to help bring that to pass. That's the root motive. That's the big thrust for everything else. That's the fuel in the tank. Why why would you take ownership? Why would you do all this hard stuff? Why would you lay down your life? Well, because of love. I understand that God loved me this way, and I want to love her in the same way. I am compelled to do so. The love of God leads me to care for her well. So we could say a lot about compassion and how it causes a husband to be more tender than he would be on his own. Um, There's a lot that we could go, but we don't have time for today. We're we're, we're moving through headship. Uh, The second leg, responsibility. This is where we're going to spend a bit of our time today. How do we define responsibility? You take ownership of all of the outcomes. It's not the same thing as saying every single thing that ever happens is always your fault. It's not the same. It it could be in some cases. Sometimes it definitely is. 
But that's not the same thing as saying you take ownership to solve it. It's not, our, it's not God's fault that we sinned against him. And yet he says, I got this. I'm going to come in and bring the solution. So the husband says the same thing to his wife. I'm, resp- I'm taking responsibility for her as opposed to she's a big girl. Well, yeah, bro, that's your wife. You love her so much that you want to you want to come in and bring solutions. You want to come in and bring resolution. You want to come in and bring leadership. Like, well, I didn't do it. <laughs> Nobody said you did it. Well, I'm concerned. What is it? Doesn't love compel you to take this ownership? It should. Like that. This is what love does. This is what it looks like. So the leg of responsibility is the engine. If the compassion is the fuel, this is the the engine where things are actually finally starting to move forward and we're connecting to the transmission that it leads you to action. So what do I take ownership of? Well, all all of the outcomes. We take ownership of everything that's going on. So what what do I see? What do I not like? I, I start to think about as a loving head, how do I solve this? How do I bring action to this? What can I do? Well, I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this. Fair enough. There's probably plenty of things you can't do. But what can you do? I could do this. Have you done it yet? Well, no. Man, that's a great place to start. That's a great stepping stone. That's a great place to begin and where the Lord could find you faithful in the garden of your marriage. So take, if I was to take ownership of the, of the romance in our marriage, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to plan a date. If I'm taking ownership of our health, I'm getting my body in shape and I'm, cur- and I'm encouraging my wife towards that same goal. If I'm taking ownership of our spiritual growth, I'm reading the word of God with my wife and I'm praying with her. Anything I see in me first and anything I see in her that doesn't please the Lord, I'm asking myself, what action can I take there? That's what the loving head, headship is doing. It's going, something's off here. What can be done about this? What would it look like to take ownership of it? Rather than always the default, which is what I used to fail at miserably all the time, was, hey, let's do this together. And instantly, what have I done? I've stepped back from the leg of responsibility. Hey, Natalie, I feel this burden, and I want, I want you to share it. Will you share it? Well, good news. If Natalie steps up and says, I'm with you 100%, we can really move some stuff together. But what if she doesn't? Here I am. My hands are tied. What do you want me to do, Lord? She said we can't do it. She said we can't move forward. She said we can't make progress. Oh, John Michael, I guess you don't have to be a good leader. I guess you don't have to take ownership of the outcomes. It's that woman I gave you, John Michael. Right? That's the temptation that we get honest from Adam. Straight from the garden. So this is in us. This is our temptation of our flesh. Like to look at my wife and go, well, she won't, so we can't. If she won't, then I'm stuck because it's 50-50. I still haven't found the 50-50 verse in the Bible. When you come across it, you let me know. But headship teaches the opposite of that. Headship says, I'm going, because I've been placed in authority, I'm loving well and I'm taking responsibility. What can I do to be a blessing? What can I do to move us forward? How can I help? What action can I take there? The action is always prayer first, but then there will be something else. As the head of your wife, you are an example to your wife. This is, a, this is part of the responsibility. So what does that mean? Well, if I'm a selfish husband, I'm going to tend to have a selfish wife. If I'm a carnal, worldly husband, I'm going to tend to have a carnal, worldly wife. If I'm a fearful husband, I'm going to tend to have a fearful wife. If I'm a strong, godly husband, I'm going to tend to have a loving, godly wife. Being her example should scare us a little bit, but we will be comforted if Jesus really is our head. It's scary to have that burden of responsibility and leadership on your life. 
when you don't have a covering over you. That's a horrifying thing. And I've seen that with many husbands. They're like, you're crushing me. I'm like, why are you so crushed? Don't you have a head? And that's where you start to dig in. You find out like, no, like maybe this man doesn't know the Lord or maybe this is just a churchman, but he's not a Christ following man. But whenever a man knows how covered and loved he is by Christ, his head, now all of a sudden there's safety, there's security. Bro, you're not the hero. Yes. You're not the hero. Everything points to Jesus. Jesus gets glory for everything. Uh, in a sense, do we get to be the hero? Yes. And in a sense, no. Everything points to Christ and our repentance is necessary. Uh, repentance is a normal part of the Christian life for men, for women, for boys, for girls. So repentance is how the Christian life is marked. But when a, when, a, when a man doesn't recognize the head over him, the covering that's blessing and loving him and taking responsibility for him, he starts to put on. He starts to hide. He starts to project. And that's when his ego really starts to show up more than ever because he thinks, I've got to be perfect. You feel pressure to be perfect. If you don't submit to the headship, the headship, the love, the covering, and the authority of Jesus, your ego will constantly be bruised, and you'll feel shame, and you'll withdraw as a man. Why? Because you think you're the top of the food chain, and you know in your heart how weak you really are, so then you feel the need to hide because you feel ashamed, and you're not bringing that sin to the cross where the Lord would free you of it, where the Lord would bless you of it. So this is why a lot of men live in shame is because they think, I'm the top, I'm the most, I've got to be the strongest, but brother, it's not true. You have a shepherd. You have a head that you need to go to. Not to mention, not to mention that you need brothers that you can go to. Not to mention that you have a pastor that you can go to. So there's, there's always somebody else above us. That's good news. That's good news. When it comes to the boys club, yeah, we're all competing for the, for the premier position. We all want to be top dog. But when it comes to the kingdom of the universe and the kingdom of God, it is a comfort to know that I have a head. So that I can come to Natalie and say... I need to apologize. I'm very sorry for X, Y, and Z, and blah, blah, and blah. Would you please forgive me? Oh, my goodness. Isn't she going to not think as much of you? Like, she already knows the truth. I'm just finally acknowledging it. She actually feels more comforted now to know that I'm not the idiot that she thought I was for a a while there when I was just like, I didn't do nothing wrong. Like, why, why are you hiding, John Michael? Like, acknowledge that there's a king. There is a hero in this household, and his name is Jesus. And we're all following him. This is an excellent exercise for your children as well. To not see, well, parents, I guess we we shouldn't apologize to our kids, or or they're going to think we're wrong. But sometimes you are, and you do sin against your children. So what's the right thing in that moment? Hey, daddy was wrong when he did this and this and this. Here's why it was sinful. It was not okay. It's okay, daddy. No, baby, it wasn't. Thank you for being forgiving, but it was not okay. Would you please forgive me? And what does that do? It makes much of Jesus. It makes much of the cross. We're constantly getting to preach the gospel and say, there is a real hero in this family, and his name is Jesus, and we're all following him together. But when we don't have that, this can lead me to harshness with my wife. This can lead any husband to harshness with his wife if you're not remembering the covering that you have. Why? Because we hate the reminder of who we are, and she reminds us of our shortcomings. If she's ungodly, If she's ungodly, she'll do it with her accusing words. But if she's godly, even her holy and submissive behavior will convict us and bring the ministry of the Holy Spirit to us. And then in that moment, we have the option to choose to resist the Lord or to choose to respond with repentance and go, I give up. I give up the projection. I give up the facade. And I can just rest in my head. I can rest in Christ. 
Yeah, we're good. Thank you. So that's our leg of responsibility. We're defining headship, compassion, responsibility, and now authority. Authority. What is authority? We define it this way. You have the power to do what you believe is best. You have the power to do what you believe is best. Notice I didn't say, this is not to be confused with you have the power to do whatever you want. Technically, you do have the power to do whatever you want, technically. But that's not in service to the Lord Jesus. So... This authority didn't just land on you out of nowhere. If you, if you behave that way with your wife, what's to stop her from saying, well, if authority just dropped out of nowhere onto you, why can't authority just drop out of nowhere onto me today? And many a husband who isn't under the headship of Jesus has experienced that very dynamic with his wife when he's going, I'm the husband. And she's going, I'm the wife. And he's like, oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Why? Because he won't acknowledge the headship and the kingship of Jesus. So who are you to tell her that she doesn't have the authority over you in this thing? And now it's a battle of egos, and we're so far off the will of God at this point, it's ridiculous. We're way off the interstate, and we're in the weeds. But the authority given to a husband is the power of God to do what he believes is best. To say it another way, to accomplish the will of God for the household. What's best for everybody? This is the husband who loves his wife like Christ loves the church and lays down his life. So this is not just, I'm getting a bass boat, dag on it, which you could get a bass boat. You might decide a boat is the best thing for the family. You can do that. And yet at the same time, a compassionate, caring husband is going to take his time and be patient. Remember, there's three legs to leadership. I need to stand more on the leg of authority. Yeah, but not at the expense of the other legs. Man, I need to stand more on the leg of compassion. Probably, but not at the expense of the other legs. This is the loving balance to say, well, which is it? Well, it's all of it. I'm compassionate. I'm gentle. I want to I be helpful. I want to use all of my strength in service to my wife. We talked about that when a man proposes. He gets down on one knee as to show what? I'm your whipping boy for the rest of my life? No, it's to show I'm taking all this strength. that could be intimidating, but I want to show you that I'm going to put it in service to you, to love you. Again, not to be your whipping boy, but to be a man who, who loves you as a man. Not loves you as a man. Who loves you from the heart of a man with, with strength, with masculinity, with protection, with provision. This is a blessing. Does that mean I get to control you? No, ma'am. No, you won't control me. Does that mean you're going to control me? No, I'm not going to control you either. But I am going to lead us in mission. You're going to be my helper. I'm going to love you, bless you, protect you, and lead you. And we're going to glorify God together. I'm a man you're a woman. This is God's good design. Are you down for that? She says, yes. yes. Then let's go. Let's go. It's going to be great. God's going to be glorified. This is what he wants. This is what he has designed for us in headship. So this role of authority, this leg of authority, just like the others, this leg is not earned. This is assigned by God. So this is also to be in service to God's will. Without this leg, headship becomes a sick joke. Because what if you just have the other two legs? This guy cares a lot, and he takes ownership for all the outcomes, but he has no power to actually accomplish anything. Hey, babe, I was thinking, no, sir. Okay. <laughs> I'm responsible for everything. I care a lot, but I don't actually have the power to move us towards the thing, to do anything. That's a sick joke. That's a cruelty. And that's what most of Christian, Christian culture yes. has teached. Has having a hard time with the words today, <laughs> has taught men. And that's a very modern thing. That's a very modern thing in the history of the world. That's the past 
60 years. This stuff is new to planet Earth. It feels like, I like it. I think it's right. Well, interestingly enough, it goes against 2,000 years of Christian orthodoxy. So any modern theologian, pastor, teacher, Christian who says, I see the scriptures this way. Well, just so you know, nobody ever did until until about five minutes ago. Mm -hmm. So, and I would caution you, because it seems strange to me that that new Christian take on scriptures perfectly aligns with the world who hates us. I find it strange that, you, that, that those two are such wonderful bedfellows all of a sudden. Um, and I think it should caution you as well. Again, I'm mocking that idea because, again, the scriptures are explicitly plain. You've got to be a biblical gymnast to be able to come to some of the conclusions that those folks come to. So headship matters. Headship is compassion, responsibility, and authority. But with Christ-like authority... A hus- what does a husband do? A husband provides mission for his wife to help with. And he makes it as easy as possible for her because his authority isn't used for his selfish desires, but she can see that he's using his authority to do what he believes is best. I did not say, some of you guys are getting nervous and some of you girls are getting excited, so let me fix that. I didn't say if he does what is right, it will always be easy for his wife. That's not true. A Christ-like husband will have moments where he compassionately takes responsibility and he takes action that is unfortunately and breaks his heart, but it is in opposition to his, wife, his wife's preference or her desire. So in those moments, he compassionately and tenderly as he can says, hey, I have to do this. Here's why. I'm really scared of that. Thank you for telling me that you're scared of that. I want to comfort you. I want to explain it to you. Brother, if you believe it's the right thing, you should do your very best to persuade her of the same truth. Not just, the foot is down. Well, there could come a time and place for that. But we don't ever start there. There's no reason to ever start there. And even if the foot has to go down, you don't have to say it with a growly voice. You can just go, baby, we've finished the discussions. Like, we've taken all the time we can take. I've done my very best to explain it all to you. I believe that this is right before the Lord. I answer to him for it. The responsibility is mine and not yours. I've wanted to comfort you in every way possible. And I've done so, and now still, I believe this is the right thing at the right time. So this is how he wants to lovingly move forward. But a Christ-like husband will have moments where he has to do do that. We hope they're rare, but it's possible. So I share this story with Natalie's permission. Uh, This is one story telling on Natalie, then one story telling on me. So years ago, she had been homeschooling the boys for a couple of years, and it had been a really, really, really rough year, and the school year was finishing, or had just finished, and she told me, she said, I'm not homeschooling the boys next year. Well, this was a a really, really big value for me. This was a non-negotiable, like our children will be homeschooled, period. Hands down, no discussion, like it just, there can be no other option. And uh, so I knew when she said, I'm not homeschooling the boys this coming year, I knew that they would be homeschooled one way or another, but I needed to be gentle with my wife. My wife was tired. My wife was exhausted. My wife was burned out. My wife was discouraged. So right away, I come up with the leg of compassion, not the leg of authority, not the leg of, you listen here, this matters to God, and it matters to me, and you're going to submit to your husband. Should she have? Yes, absolutely. But would that have been compassionate? Would that have been a loving head? Of course not. Did I have the right to? I did. Would that have been wise or loving? Absolutely not. Would it have been sinful even? Yes. It was the right thing. Yes, but also with the wrong heart. Yeah. So care for, your, care for your wife. So I took my time and said, hey, baby, 
I know it's been a hard year. Let's give you some rest. Let's let some time go by. We got all summer. We're, I'm going to make sure we get new curriculum. Um, we're going to get you the resources you need. I mean, I'm solving, solving, solving. We're going to make sure that you go into the school you're refreshed. I'll be more involved. We can do all the things, all the things. And I'm taking time. I know, I know our boys will be homeschooled because there's no universe that exists where they would be in the public school come the fall. But I still had to take my time. It was maybe a week, maybe two weeks of revisiting the conversation gently with her, revisiting the conversation gently with her, revisiting the conversation gently with her until finally one day she said, you're not hearing me. I am not homeschooling the boys this coming year. And it was like I, I had exhausted like all the compassionate gentleness. And I knew that she was like, dude, it's over. Like there's no more talking. And I said, okay. I hear you. And she said, all right, so later, you know, by whatever, next month or whatever, I'll reach out to the school and I'll start getting them registered. And I said, no, 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 don't do that. You're not, we're, they're not going to public school. And she's like, I just said that I'm not homeschooling. I said, I know you're not. I'm going to have to. I'll have to homeschool them. How are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. I'll have to do it when I get home from work. How? I don't know. She's like, that's ridiculous. I said, I agree. I, I think it's ridiculous. I can't believe you're going to make me do this, but I told you this is a value. I don't have an option because I have a head that I'm scared of, and you being unwilling to participate, she won't, so I can't. I'm still accountable. I'm still responsible for what I believe is right, and I, 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 that was all gentle as well, but she knew it wasn't a bluff. I was not bluffing. It was not maybe I can like twist her arm. I, it wasn't a trick. It wasn't a play. I was preparing. I was thinking, all right, God help me. I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do this, but whose job, whose responsibility is it? Well, it's mine because this was a value that mattered that much to me. And it was maybe within a few days and she came back to me and she was re repentant and sincere and, and all was well. And again, I didn't hold any of that against her. And I only share this story with her permission and with her blessing. Um, there's another story where uh, my authority didn't go so well. So that was the story on her. That I know the details of that one. She can probably help me fill in the details of this one. <laughs> so for years in ministry, um, I had this motto in my head of just like, you just got to do more, you just got to do more, like whatever it takes kind of attitude. And, and I forced that onto her as well. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. And she was burning out. She had said, you know, whenever this next baby comes, I want to step out of this team or get out of this responsibility. And I just kind of ignored all of that. I kept ignoring her. Not compassion at all, standing exclusively on authority. So that last story I was telling about responsibility. Um, this story I'm talking about how I pushed my authority too far and hurt my wife in the process. I neglected compassion and responsibility. So she was burning out. She was burning out. She was burning out to the point where, like, the fruit was evident. And she was exhausted and empty and shriveling. Am I doing it justice? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to undersell it because it was rough. But this was all at the expense of her husband who was saying, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. We have to push. We have to always do more. And in that story, it finally came to, we were getting ready to have a youth camp, right? And it was the day of this youth camp event. I'm like, Mr. Youth Pastor, this is a youth pastor's wife. We've been preparing for this thing for months. We've done this year after year after year. And she's crying oh i drop off my stuff and i'm fine and yeah i have to go run an errand she goes she drops off her stuff like we're getting ready to do stuff with buses or whatever and she comes back or she calls me 
and she's just melting down. And I'm going, women are so emotional, aren't they? I mean, just, this came out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. This hasn't been building for four years. This came out of nowhere today. Natalie must just be having an emotional day because this came out of nowhere. It just fell out of the sky. That's what John Michael thought was taking place. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. That's what younger me would have thought. Thankfully, I had enough realization to go, huh, I think this is the consequence of all the, come on, come on, you can do it. Come on, you got this. Come on, we can, we can go farther. We can push more. So then that proceeded to start a season of healing in her life where I repented to her and recognized my sin of pushing, 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 pushing. And by the way, we're not talking about being at church on Sunday mornings, unless anybody gets the wrong idea here of like, oh, so maybe we should like go to the beach on Sunday mornings. No, no, that's not what we're saying. I'm talking about extreme commitments, high level of responsibilities that were pushed on her. Why? Because the ministry, the ministry, that was how I could always justify it. Did I finish that accurately? I think so. Yeah. So I repented, and thankfully the Lord restored her, and they lived happily ever after. That's the, and he never sinned against his wife ever again. To this day. Right, to this day. We still got some time in the day, but we'll see. So your thoughts might be, man, my wife, I wish my wife would trust me and submit to my authority. Well, she should definitely obey the word of God without fear. And still, the man who isn't submitted to King Jesus is a walking contradiction because he demands authority, but he's not under authority. So even though as a preacher, I could look like I've got it all together and I could look like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it all well, I'm not even qualified for ministry if my household isn't what it's supposed to be. So that is the first test of a man's leadership and his headship. I want expansion. I want something more. Brother, there's a high calling to your role as a head. It's a high calling. It's a special thing. Have you mastered compassion, responsibility, and authority that look like Jesus? The answer is no. Uh, But have you grown in it? Are you pursuing it? Because that's the testing ground for everything else. Headship touches everything else. We're going to start closing. (laughs) Looking at how many pages I have left. Um, We'll wrap up here in the next 10 minutes. we're, We're going longer today. A husband's headship touches everything. Ephesians 5.24 tells us that a wife should submit to her husband in everything. So what does that mean? Well, that means his headship, his headship touches everything. So some have tried to limit a husband's sphere of influence to just spiritual leadership. But that's not what God teaches as his design. You're not just the spiritual leader. You're the everything leader. So there's much more to be said about that high calling and, and the role of spiritual leader. So that's where we're going to close today. Back to Ephesians 5. Uh, 26 and 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, as verse 25, and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. So this idea of head is literally referencing a head and a body. A head bears responsibility for the whole body. The head doesn't neglect the hand. The head is making the decisions to say, what's best for everybody? What's the right thing? Where should we go? Why, how should we do it? Not The hand's like, I just got smashed with a hammer. And the head doesn't say, nobody cares about you, hand. It's only about the face. Only the face matters. It's not true at all. 
The head cares for the whole body. The head takes ownership for all the outcomes everywhere. But part of our responsibility is the spiritual leadership, to sanctify our wives. To sanctify means to set apart, to make holy, to actively dedicate something or someone in the service to God. So a husband, as his wife's head, cares for and directs her spiritual growth. He's concerned with her purification before the Lord. He washes her with God's word. Among the many responsibilities involved with being the head of your wife, you must be her spiritual leader. So here's one simple and obvious test to tell if you're the spiritual leader. Because what does that look like? We always want to get practical. We always want to get really specific. If your wife could say, let's not go to church this weekend, and you would stay home, then you've got your answer. Let's not go to church. The weather's beautiful. I thought we ought to go to the park and eat sandwiches. And you go, okay. That's not being a good spiritual leader. And by the way, this is the lowest possible benchmark I could think of, like Sunday worship. I posted this online, that little segment from my sermon, and some guy said, uh, duh, you know, obviously. And he said, but that's kind of a low bar. And I said, yes, you're right. That's the lowest bar possible I could think of. But it's, it's certainly an important one. So are you leading your wife spiritually? Here are some other ways that this could apply to your headship, and we're closing Simple things to do to lead spiritually. Stop and pray. I'm not good at that. I don't like that. I feel you, brother. You know how we're going to get better at it? Oh, you get one guess. You guessed it. Doing it. Stop and pray. Another thing to be the spiritual leader. I want to be in charge. Okay, here's how to be in charge. Ask this question. Babe, what does the Bible say about this situation? What does God really want in this moment? You want to be the leader? This is the way to do it. Take responsibility for God's will for your household. Bring your family to church because you want to. Especially on Father's Day. There's a thing in Christian culture where like Mother's Day, there's a bigger attendance because mom's like, I want my family in church. And everybody's like, all right. Like, mom wants us in church. And on Father's Day, dad's like, let's go out on the boat. I'm going golfing. It's a shame. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing as a man. Come on, y'all. It's my day, isn't it? Yeah, Bill, it's your day. It's yours. It's, the world is yours and everything in it. What would you like to do today, Bill? How could there possibly be something any better than for a father to be with his wife and children worshiping in the presence of God on the Lord's day? But the weather's nice, but it's raining. The two reasons Christians don't go to church. It's pretty or it's bad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What's another way I can be the spiritual leader? I set the standard for how we love God. What's it look like? What's it look like? What's it look like? It looks like loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it looks like. Well, how do I do that? If you love God, it will find expression. It will find its way out. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. If the mouth is never speaking, I don't like what you're implying there. I didn't imply it. I'm preaching the Bible. Yeah. I'm not trying to, this isn't passive aggressive. It's just aggressive. <laughs> Loving God looks like something. Loving God shows up in a certain way. It means something. This is the most important part of our headship, to want the will of God for your family. Can I get whatever I want? Man, the, gar the, the fruit of the garden of marriage gets so sweet and so yes. beautiful. Yes. 
and you get to eat all of it. The Lord gave us a garden in the beginning. He said, eat everything. Don't eat this. This is the only thing you can't eat, but eat everything else. It's yours. Enjoy it. Tend it, keep it, expand it, and multiply it. God says the same thing to marriages. Enjoy one another. Enjoy God's best, but it will require obedience. My fear and the prayer that I've been praying to counter that fear is that we're just doing a marriage series. I don't care about preaching a marriage series if you're not going to obey it. It's pointless. I don't preach sermons for myself to say, well, that box has been checked. Time to do a prayer series. Check. Time to do a verse-by-verse series. Check. I guess I'm a good pastor now. And by the way, I intend to be a pastor, not just a preacher. So if you want just a preacher man to give you a sermon on Sundays, I, I hope you'll find yourself extremely uncomfortable in Salt Church because I actually intend to shepherd and care for your souls. Almost sounds like love. Almost sounds like headship in the church. Compassion is my motive. I'm taking ownership of outcomes. And yes, I stand in an office of authority. So do you know, brother, that you're loved by God? When you're thinking about your headship, this is the first place to start. What do I do? Know that you're loved by the Father. You are loved by the Father. For God so loved you that he covered you. You have a head. You're not alone. You're not abandoned. You're not forgotten. Your earthly father, maybe so. I'm sorry that he was the bad representation, but the heavenly father is the true, the pure, and the good. Jesus is the head of every man. Do you know that he's responsible for you and that you're cared for him? Are you submitted to God's authority? Are you submitted to other forms of authority? I want my wife to respect and follow me. How do you respond to the government? How do you respond to your employer? How do you respond to your pastor? Are you a teachable man? Are you correctable? Are you humble? These are the things that will tell you, that will check you, that will help your heart to go, Lord, help me. Help me. I'm a man under authority, (laughs) thankfully. And that's a safe thing. And that's actually going to help our wives. Next week, we're talking about submission and what does that look like for a wife. And we as men, we can go a long way to bless our wives and help our wives. We cannot necessarily relieve them of of every single pressure and thought that they may have. They are responsible for their their walk with the Lord. And yet we have an incredible influence. And all this is good news. Headship is not burdensome. Jesus didn't find it burdensome. He didn't despise the cross as he took responsibility for us. Let us not despise the burdens, the burdens that we would carry as we love our wives, as we care for our children, as we lead our households. It's a high calling. Why would I put in all this work? Because you get all the fruit. <laughs> it pleases the Lord. There's good fruit to be gained, and love is your motive. A husband so loved his wife that he laid down his life for her just like Jesus did for the church. God doesn't ask us to do, like, the perf- like any perfect authority, he never asks us to do something that he didn't already do first. Husbands go first, husbands lead the way with love for God, with love for spouse, and taking responsibility for everything along the way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and his perfect example of headship. You loved us, you cared for us, so you took action. Help us to be the kind of husbands who love our wives compassionately, tenderly, and let, it, let that lead us to take action. Grow us in compassion and responsibility and authority so that our wives would know that we love them deeply, so that we would see ways to take ownership for outcomes, and so that we would use the authority that you've given to us to do what most pleases you, that we would move forward, that we would be bold, that we wouldn't be cowardly men, that we wouldn't be fearful men, that we wouldn't be passive men, 
but that we would be men who accomplish your will so that people can look into a Christian household and say, that is a picture of the gospel. That shows me the kingdom of God. And if that's what Jesus and his church looks like, then sign me up. Glorify your name in our households and in our marriages, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We want to see your name glorified, and we want to see people helped. We want Christians to have the best marriages, and we want the world to be blessed by the light that we shine for them. We thank you for it all in Jesus' name. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine down upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you great peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.